fans want me dancing in a cave. Yeah! What if someone finds out? Oh boy. Listen guys, dancing isn't something you think about. It's a form of self-expression that no one can ever take away from you. Bending Not Breaking, The Gifts of Imperfection Edition. Episode 12, Guidepost 10. Cultivating laughter, song, and dance. Letting go of being cool and always in control. Welcome back to Bending Not Breaking. This is Ben Pruitt, your host for this little mini-series. And this is Guidepost 10 of The Gifts of Imperfection. This is the last one. I'm so excited to have you all listening with your little your little listening ears in. I'm very excited about it. It's wonderful. And uh, yeah, just so you all are aware, if this is your first episode, we're talking about laughter, song, and dance today. And we are kind of going through The Gifts of Imperfection one guidepost at a time. And this is our last guidepost. Next week, we will do a little wrap-up episode talking about all of them again, like kind of like we did leading up to the guideposts. Um, but for today, we're focusing on guidepost 10. And I'm really excited because we have a very special guest. And so I would like to introduce Sarah. Sarah is a physical therapist who is currently completing a residency, which involves specialized training and mentorship related to the pelvic floor, physical therapy, and oncology rehabilitation. Uh, her passion for movement, which is why I have her here today, has inspired her creative outlets as well as informed her career choices. And she hopes to move through this work as a therapist and do that so she can empower others to recognize their worth, regain autonomy over their bodies so that they can live their lives without limitations from pain or dysfunction. And that's really exciting because she's also a dancer and that's one of the reasons she's here today. So everybody, let's just warmly welcome Sarah. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm so good. I'm really excited to be here and to be talking about something that has been a part of my life for a long time. So thanks for yeah. having me. Yeah, of course. I really just pulled you in for the dance because you don't do any laughter never, right? No, I never laugh or sing or listen to music. Yeah. Never. yeah. yeah. Dancing and music aren't compatible for sure. No, definitely not. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, we know a little bit about you, but if we were to ask you, like, what makes you you? Like, what what makes you you? Just what for our listeners? Like, what's something about you that makes you you? What makes me me? Um, wow. I think for me, like, kind of like I said in that intro, like, movement has been a big part of my life for a very long time since I was little. Um. And I think for me, I've always been drawn to connecting with people through movement. So mm -hmm. like I started dancing when I was very young and just loved the way that it made me feel, but also loved that that was something that I could share with other people. Um, and that's also why like I was really active when I was younger. And then with physical therapy realized like 
oh my gosh, when you're not able to move in the ways that support you, you know, it doesn't have to be through like dance or physical activity, but uh, if I'm not able to move without pain or move in the ways that support like what we want to do and what fills our cup, like how impactful that is on our quality of life and who we are. So that kind of is, is what led me to physical therapy. And I just like, kind of like I was in my intro, like I want people to be able to move the way that they need to. And because I understand how important that is to our sense of self. So. Yeah. That's awesome. So you mentioned you've been dancing since you were really young, right? And so mm-hmm. tell me, like, how has that been uh, integral to your life from then to now? Like, what is, um, how have you been dancing and continuing to incorporate that into your life? Yeah, so I started when I was really young. Um, and I actually took a dance class and I... Um, stepped away from it for a while because I was a little too aggressive. Um, I apparently <laughs> little girls out of the way. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they enrolled me in soccer after that, but I eventually found my way back. Um, and I actually started in like a competitive dance studio, which, um, actually huh? wasn't the most supportive for me. Um, um, there was a lot of aesthetic, um, implications and a lot of expectations on like, what does a dancer's body look like and what does dance look like? And it was very much like aesthetic driven and not like safety driven or, um, comfort driven. And, you know, I graduated and kind of stepped away a little bit, but then in college, like found some student led dance groups and like fell back in love and, you know, really appreciated the opportunity to, dance because it felt good and not necessarily dance because it had to look a certain way and to dance to like express things and say things and connect with others and like fell back in love and so I've continued doing like little things here and there and maintain connections with like the dance community around where I went to college and did little side projects came back and taught and you know and anytime there's a dance floor I take advantage of it so it dance hasn't left since so <laughs> has uh, been confessed at yeah, weddings. Yeah, yeah I uh I might have seen Sarah at a wedding or two uh getting after it on the dance floor uh, my favorite yeah. wedding dance are just a special place for me <laughs> absolutely it's where all the magic happens Seriously. so it's great to hear kind of this kind of evolution for you where you've seen like the the shadow side of where you take dance in a potentially harmful direction, right? When it's judged by an aesthetic, right? And then how beneficial it can be when it is a form of expression and um, kind of like movement authenticity, um, mm-hmm. right? Is that, is that, I'm hearing that correctly? Yeah, yeah. I, I think for me, I, there's nothing wrong. Like there is dance for consumption, right? Like there are there are kinds of dance, like the reason that we go to ballets and things and, you know, to consume and to watch and it's beautiful, but that's not all that dance is. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes that's what we, we think about when we think of dance is it has to be a certain aesthetic and there's this yeah. and that's, that's not really what dance is like that can be dance, but really like dance is movement and, mm. you know, have to look a certain way or be a certain way and it's going to look different in different bodies and that's like the amazing thing about it um that it to me I think dance is one of the most accessible same with like music and laughter it's like one of the most accessible mediums like it 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 really is for all bodies so 
I'm really excited to hear you kind of put that language to this because I think that's going to be really relevant when we get to dance later on in the conversation. So let's put a little little button on that for now and come back to it when we get to dance because now I want to like help our listeners have some context about um, your relationship with the Avatar verse, right? So are you like, do you know anything about Avatar or are you like, you know, what, what's your Avatar status? Like, give me like, <laughs> what's your rank in terms of everything that you've consumed? <laughs> um, so I was introduced to Avatar when I was younger, like when it was on the TV, I would say like, I didn't understand how much I enjoyed it and then came back as an adult recently um and like rewatched never seen Cora but like went from Avatar straight to Cora like straight through um so yeah I really enjoy it I think it's especially Avatar I mean the whole universe I really enjoy it I wouldn't say I'm like maybe the top fan like I haven't watched (laughs) all the things a bunch of times but I certainly like really enjoy the show and have seen all of them but have not dived into like comics or books or anything past the Netflix access to the show. (laughs) Lovely. Well, it's good for everybody to kind of have some context about like what you may not be bringing in. So this is really exciting. And I'm glad that you have, you know, these wonderful shows in in your little tool belt, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So just as again, for logistics purposes, get that out of the way. We're uh, guidepost 10 today, just that's 149 through 158 in your 10th anniversary edition, if that's what you're reading. Um, and then next week we're wrapping up the mini series and then we're starting legend of Korra season two. Very exciting. We've already got some guests lined up for that season and it's going to be awesome. So can't wait to tune in with you. Um, which brings us to today. So today we are having the the luxury of discussing probably one of my favorite guideposts. Um, It's pretty great. Uh, So what I want to do is kind of lean into kind of where we stand with this. So what we've done historically is we've kind of gone through this wholehearted inventory. And I am happy to announce that this is my highest one (laughs) in terms of spectrum that I (laughs) have on my um, inventory. It's closer to like 80% than, whereas the other ones are all around like between 40 and 60. And so this one's like, "Ah, finally, (laughs) I have one that I'm good at, um, that I lean into. And so, uh, have you had a chance to take the, the inventory, Sarah? I did. And this one also was like, woo, very close to laughter, song and dance. And same with you. Some of the other ones were kind of a little bit more midline in the scale, but that one, I was like, yes. (laughs) Check. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> well, good. So now we kind of like have a little bit of context. We are leaning into this a little bit. There's still room where we potentially could be leaning into it more. Um, but there's also like always probably going to be that little bit of space where we're like, ah, because, you know, sometimes it's an ebb and flow kind of deal where one day we might be really good at it. And another day we'd be like, I'm terrible at that. Um, so Today, we're doing all right with this, like, you know, a little bit higher on the spectrum. So generally, if without like referencing what we like necessarily specifics from from the chapter, I'm, I'm going to ask you this big question of like, why, why is laughter, song and dance? Why, why are they important? 
to me, I think like laughter, song and dance are such genuine ways in which we interact with our environment and connect with others. Like I just, when I think of connection, these three elements come up for me. Um, so I think that's why they're so important. And it, it's like connection with vulnerability added into it. And those yeah. are those kind of connection moments that are sincere, like ways of engaging with others and creating relationships and so mm-hmm. that's what I think about for these three things is really true honest and kind of scary sometimes connection with others that's really interesting so I like of course my head jumps to okay what are my relationships that I really value and then I try to think about when I'm laughing and singing and dancing in with or near them and like in I try to imagine my my you know, closest relationships without laughter. And it's just like, that, that leaves out like half of our conversation. <laughs> it's like, um, what just happened, right? And so like the way that you frame that is like, oh, that's an interesting way to think about that, right? It's um, you lose something when you lose these things as well in terms of connection. So I think that's a really, really neat. So Brene asks this question, like she came across the data as she was working with people. And what happened is she noticed that these three things were really integral. And she was like, well, what is it about these three things? What is, what is the transformational element? If there is anything at all that they have in common? Cause it's not just like, what did laughter song and dance have in common? Like, what's the, what are they doing for us? Uh, as um, relationally, right? And what she connects to it and is that laughter, song, and dance, uh, from them, there is a path to every human emotion. And for me, that was something that I was like, mm, <laughs> tell me more about that. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious, as you kind of hear that statement, um, a, a song, a dance, um, and a path to laughter, for every human emotion. What, what does that mean for you? How does that resonate? Is that true? What are, like, what are your thoughts? You know, to me, I, I do feel like it's true. Um, I guess, especially for me, like the, the, how large the genre of like dance and music are, I think for me, like there are songs that depending on my mood, like really resonate with me, like whether it's like the lyrically or just like in general. So yeah, I think laughter is a little bit, I guess a harder for me to think about of it relating, but yeah, I would say in terms of song and dance, I definitely agree with that. But laughter is the one that that's a little, because I think I often associate laughter with like joy and, um, you know, some of those more like up emotions yeah. I don't want to say they're negative but like you know joy happiness and so it, it's that one feels tougher to connect to yeah. like sad your grief and not that you know laughter is a part of those moments but it that feels like a harder connection to some yeah. of those feelings yeah and I think it's as I was thinking about it and really kind of leaning into this chapter and saying like okay like every human emotion like really like we're looking like like true grief and remorse here but then you know I can I can think about these moments where I I've referenced this on the podcast before like uh Debbie Downer for a second uh so I remember when my my first dog died and I was like 
<laughs> it was not great. Um, and it was very sudden. It was really, really annoying and frustrating and sad. And I, um, went into this mode of like starting to clean everything. And then, um, my, my housemates at the time were, you know, also like devastated because they were living with me and living with the dog. And, um, what happened was like, we all like, after I had cleaned everything in the house and couldn't clean anything more and had actually gotten a cry out, we all like kind of just gathered around our table and we, you know, started talking. And then all of a sudden we just all started laughing about these random moments that as we remembered the, the things that this dog had done that were super dopey. And, like, <laughs> and it's just, it's really interesting because it's, it's not when we're necessarily in, as I reflect on this, it's not the moment where we are like sobbing that we connect to laughter. Although I have seen people sob laugh. Um, but it's, it's often like a path to, right. Not necessarily Mm -hmm. like it's, it's, it's leads to laughter, um, which is, so can you think, and you don't have to necessarily share the experience, but is that resonate with you? Is that makes like, how does that, um, track sound like, and have you had similar experiences? Yeah. I mean, you know, as you were talking, it just, it made me think about, I think a lot of times we feel like emotions have to be like separate entities Mm -hmm. this or this. And when you're talking, I'm like, oh yeah, like, you know, I I can feel joyous, but also feel grief. Like I can feel those things at the same time and they both have valid space and they both take up space and they're Mm -hmm. not like competing, you know? So I think, unfortunately, death is one of those things, like, I think about when I lost my uncle, you know, there's, even in, like, the funeral experience, like, you are incredibly sad and grieving, like, the loss of that person, but you're also, like, celebrating their life and, like, times with them, so it's just, you know, really interesting that we all often forget when we think about emotions that, like, these two things or four things or ten things can happen at the same time, and, impact and aren't don't have to be competing like they just exist and are like in our bodies so yeah 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 well it's like I love that you kind of lifted that up it's like as we have these uh not competing emotions within us right and competing in the sense that like often when we are in funeral mode so to speak right? We're like, okay, this is grief time. I'm not allowed to laugh. And then of course, everybody starts telling jokes and everybody's laughing in the funeral. And then like, if there's this often this thing that happened, like there are so many movie clips where there's a funeral that happens. And then all of a sudden, like everybody busts out laughing because of X, Y, and Z. And um, it's often really uncomfortable, but it's also like, that's real, (laughs) right? That's something that happens. And um, I think that it's just really neat to kind of think about how even those hard things, like, and I can think of so many times where I've been like angry and I know the exact song that I want to go to because I want to belt it out and be mad. And like, cause I know that the person singing it is mad or when I'm like dancing and like you, I think of these like clips of people dancing where these people are just like, I, the, the clear emotion being sold is like that they're they are not happy right now <laughs> like right um have you have you ever danced um have you ever danced out a a, a so to speak down emotion oh all the time all the time i for me 
again, because I think I gravitated towards movement, like dance is the thing that I use to process emotions. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's the thing that I use to process emotions. It's this thing that I use to express emotions, to say things that maybe I like cannot find the words to say. So yeah, I think every emotion on the spectrum, I have like gone to a dance studio or like in my living room or in my bedroom and put on a song and just like let it out. And in those moments, like by myself. Um, And that's the nice thing about dance too, is like, we can share it, but you can also like own it for yourself and like have these moments with yourself to connect. And that's really cool too. Mm. Okay. All right. We've kind of done our like, you know, widespread little recap of all these things. This is exciting. And I, I think one of the things I want to lift up from the book that directly connects to what you were saying is the, these things are so rooted in connection. And one thing that Brene says is laughter, song and dance create emotional and spiritual connection. And um, the way that she means that is she says that they remind us that they remind us of the one thing that really matters to us when we're searching for comfort, for, for celebration, for inspiration. And that is that we are not alone. Right. And that other people are experiencing things like this. And so I, I think that's super neat. And the, in the same way that we framed it earlier, I, I think a lot of people believe that laughter, song and dance are important. I think a lot of people are like, oh, laughter is super important. Oh yeah, music, great. Like dancing, y'all, you do that. That's cool, right? But like people believe in the importance of it, but like often it's like, but not for me. Um, And oftentimes we take it for granted. And I I think what's really neat about this is the way that kind of Brene dives into this is that we are innately social and relational beings. Right. And so what that means is that we are like impelled to share our stories and cultivate this collective ecstasy, which is like, I think when that, like, I want you to laugh so that we can laugh so that we can be happy. I want like, I and feel connected and be a part of something. I want to sing because this is what's coming out of me interrupting my body. And I want to dance because this is what's making me feel like me. And in order to feel like me, I need to have connection with someone else. Um, so that's really, really beautiful. I like, so as you hear these things and as you potentially read the chapter, like what, how did that land for you? What, what was that? What was that like to hear? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, especially when it comes to like laughter, song and dance, I unfortunately often hear people say like, especially when it comes to a dance floor, you know, oh no, like I don't dance. what do you mean you don't dance? And, you know, I just think of a recent example, like I had a few friends over and like, we, I just started like dancing in the living room and then like one other person joined in. And then finally, like the third person joined in and a friend was like, it was so beautiful to see that moment where like, finally that person was, that was so nervous. Yeah. Just dance and then realize like, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. And so it breaks my heart sometimes to the fear that people have to like join in and dance because it, I know that it's something that makes people feel good and it's a way to connect and that we have all of these guards up, especially like when other people are around and the thought Mm -hmm. of like, people are looking at me, people are watching me and just these expectations of judgment and these like thoughts of judgment and I'm not good enough or I'm not dancing good enough when it's like, 
there, this isn't a stage. There's no judges. This isn't like, there's no ranking or points. Like, you know, it, it's just interesting that we go towards that, but it is like to use, to use our bodies and to move in front of others. Like I also recognize is a very vulnerable experience, like yeah. to share the way that you move, because like, it's, it's your choices and it's your body and it's, it's almost on display, but not in a way of judgment, but people feel that way. So Mm -hmm. I understand both. Like, I just, you know, I understand it's scary, but also it it just, when you finally let go, how good it feels, you know, I, I like to help people get to that point, but it's Mm -hmm. hard, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's so hard and we're going to, we're definitely going to dive into that for sure. When we get a a little bit more into dance, right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I really love the track that Brene takes and going from like laughter, then song and dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the reason that I think it's so beautiful is she has this analogy that she doesn't use in the book, but I've seen her use it in her talks is where, you know, she starts by like, like, all right, everybody, I want you to act out what it's like to, to laugh. And I just want you to look at each other and laugh and see what happens when, when you look at each other and, and laugh. And, and all of a sudden everybody in the audience turns towards each other and then they start laughing and it starts with like, ha 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 ha. And it goes into this like, and then all of a sudden people like start actually laughing and they're laughing and it's really cute and it's really fun because they all start laughing. And, you know, some people go into like knee slapping mode and some people are just like, <laughs> and um, really just kind of reserved and laughing. Um, and, and then she's like, okay, pause, 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 pause. That was a great movie scene. Thank you for laughing for my movie. And then, all right, for our movie now, our next scene is we're all, we're all going to be singing this song. So she starts singing, everybody starts singing. And, you know, some people are like swaying to the beat and like singing the words and like getting into it. And then some people are just singing and not moving at all. And then the next, she's like, pause scene. Okay, great. Now this next scene, we really need you to dance into this. And they all start dancing and they all start like getting it. And like their whole bodies are moving. We see the the toe tappers and the, like that everybody's dancing and they're moving and their uh, whole bodies are involved. And then she says, pause. For this next scene, I want you to look cool, calm, and collected. And what happens is the entire audience adopts this posture of closed. And they, they go from open, wild, from dancing. And it, again, like it, the evolution of like laughter, a little bit of body, song, a little bit more, and then dance, like whole body integration. And then cool was full shutdown. Because what they did was they crossed their arms, Mm -hmm. they put their hands in their pockets, they looked down, they like they everybody like, like shrank. Mm -hmm. And the way that she labels that she says that cool, being cool, and being in control is an emotional straitjacket. And so what's tell me about how like how does that kind of land for you what what are what are your what are your responses to to kind of that I I feel like it's heartbreaking um that you know somehow like this standard of being cool and fitting in means making yourself smaller yeah. um, and like I don't know like taking away essences of you is how you are cool and you know, like there's so much to say about like closing yourself down and crossing your arms and not making eye contact. Like, yeah, what's interesting too, is those are often things that like 
those are signals that close off connection across and you're looking down, like you're, you're like putting a door in front of yourself of like, I'm not open to connection. Yeah. It's heartbreaking to me that, you know, what's desirable to be cool and to be fit in is inherently cutting yourself off from one expressing yourself and enjoying like existing and two preventing others from like enjoying your presence and enjoying your existence like that it's heartbreaking oh it's so and it is but it's also one of those things where like I totally get it like like, so like I am like oh yep I don't want to sing with you right now oh laughter is not safe that will make me look a certain way and this is Mm -hmm. not a space where I feel comfortable looking that way and you know it's um it is tragic it's hard uh, but that's, that's the world we live in, but it doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to be. Ugh. All right. So let's, let's touch on, uh, each one. Let's dive in just a little deeper into each one. And then we will, um, probably be done by then once we dive into each one. So, well, laughter, let's start with laughter, kind of like Brene tracks. And, um, you know, we've talked about it already a little bit, but she kind of describes it as this, this spiritual form of communing where without words, we say, I'm with you, I get it. And to kind of put language to what we were describing earlier, where like laughter seems a little bit counterintuitive when we're experiencing these, these quote down emotions. And, um, the way that she kind of mitigates that is she describes what is called knowing laughter. And knowing laughter is this kind of laughter that she talks about that helps us heal, especially from, from shame, shame feelings where um, it's not laughing at, right? It's not like, <laughs> that sucks for you, um, which, you know, that is a form of laughter, but that's not the laughter she's talking about. No, knowing laughter is the embodiment of like relief and connection that we experience when we realize that we're, when we're like not alone. Um, so what is that, when you hear that, what is that like for you? And can, do you have any examples potentially where you have experienced this, this idea of, of knowing laughter? Yeah. Um, for me, like, as you were talking, what I think about is like, when I share that kind of knowing laughter with a person, I almost like, that's like signifies to me that we've become closer or that we yeah. have gotten past the barrier of like, you know, I don't know how to act around you. I'm not sure where we stand. So, you know, I just recently moved to Pittsburgh and didn't know anyone here. And, um, you know, I think about for my roommate, for instance, like kind of awkward at first where we're like, you know, how do we navigate sharing a space with someone we don't know very well. And then slowly, like, I think about these moments where we were like in the same space and then we started chatting and then like started to have laughter. And now I think about our interactions where we're we're now very comfortable with each other and like laughter fills our moments more and more. And so that's what I think about. And there's other people here that we've shared more recently, like this moment of laughter. And now like, I notice even more so like there's more physical contact, there's more comfort, there's more mm-hmm. engagement with one another. So that's what I think about that. It's, it's almost like when you get to that point, it just signifies like a comfort level and it almost, yeah. Like, then for me, I'm like, Oh, like we're, we've established this relationship and this level of comfort. And that's really exciting that we've yeah. you know, up to this point that you feel safe enough to like laugh with me um, yeah. and to engage with me. And that now we like, it almost opens up for other things, like other kind of interactions and comfort levels. So. 
Yeah, I, I, the, the example that I keep thinking of is I imagine myself in like work meetings where mm-hmm. I know I have a problem with what was just said and I immediately make eye contact with someone who I've had the conversation with and I look and then all of a sudden we start giggling because we know exactly what the other person's yeah. thinking, right? And that's like, okay, like this is a moment where like, okay, they get me. They know that I, they know that I have trouble with what was just said, or they know that like that made us think of the exact same thing. Um, and it's those, those moments are just like, I, I literally, when I described it, I just felt like my chest lighten up. I like, I, uh, I felt an opening almost of where like, it was this release of tension, just thinking of, yeah. right. Um, and I think that's, that's what makes laughter so cool. Right. And that's what this, this knowing laughter does. Mm-hmm. And again, it's, I, I wanted to just, just make, put a distinction between like, it's not, it's also not like two people laughing at something else, mm-hmm. right? It is two people in recognition of one another laughing with, mm-hmm. right? So when two people look at each other and see something that makes them laugh, that is like they're laughing at that thing that's that's not the same (laughs) um and I I don't think that has quite as much um connective element as potentially what this this self-described like knowing laughter does does that resonate with you or or do you have experiences that are counter to that no I mean that resonates with me and I you know I think it is important and I'm glad that you brought up that distinction because laughter can also be harmful. Like laughter be a tool for shame and a tool for, you know, I think I'm, I know I, you've talked about this in previous podcasts, but a lot of times like people connect through shame or connect through like negative experiences. And like, sometimes it feels easier to connect and to have a connection over something that's negative or And, you know, laughter can be really harmful. Like if you're directing it at a person or at someone's expense, like that's not, to me, that's not true laughter. Like mm-hmm. that's using laughter, like as a tool, but for not its intended purpose, like yeah. you're using something to make it seem like it's lighthearted and forming connection, but it's kind of false connection because like, yeah at whose expense are you creating this connection? And that's also the reason that like, self-deprecating humor and humor as deflection doesn't create as much connection as this, again, this knowing laughter does, right? With like, because self-deprecating humor is at my expense, right? Mm-hmm. Or at the person who's doing its expense. And when, when that is true, while it might, you know, lighten the mood in the room, it's still not the same in terms of its connective, you know, holiness, so to speak. But it's interesting that you mentioned like after those true, like those true laughter moments, you feel lighter. And for me in in those moments of laughter, like for self-deprecating humor, like I don't feel lighter Mm -hmm. and I actually, I don't feel the relief of tension. Like I, it like sits heavier with me. So when Mm -hmm. someone makes self-deprecating comments and laughs, like I don't, yeah. It, may, it makes me feel tenser Yeah. <laughs> um, versus when we're truly laughing together. Like I do feel lighter. So I think it's, those are like bodily experiences for me of if this is like a true, you know, knowing laughter moment yeah. or not. Um, Cause yeah, I, I don't feel the same way after those interactions. Yeah. I think another way to frame it that I'm kind of marinating on as we, as we speak is I think anytime laughter helps 
someone be seen, it is, it, it carries that connection. Right. And, and I think that again, when I make eye contact with my, my coworker in that meeting, I see them and I know that they're looking at me and I'm like, okay, they see me. Right. And in a way it's the laughter is almost the result of that relief. Right. It's like, okay, thank goodness. <laughs> like, I'm not alone. Um, so yeah, I think that's really neat. And then I love this Mott quote that Brene finds and uses is that laughter is like this bubbly effervescent form of holiness. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, I want that. <laughs> I want to be effervescent. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, so again, this is an avatar cast, right? And so here's the deal. Like there are so many moments where the characters in the show are laughing with one another, but mm-hmm. I also recognize that there are so many elements where since we are in relationship with the show, a lot of times we experience this knowing laughter with the characters, right? Even when they aren't potentially laughing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I, and I think of all these moments that, that exist where, Oh my, like, uh, name the most common laughing moment in the show. Like there's so many, but like one of the ones that comes up is like Zuko in season three, where Sokka's like pouring his heart out and saying, you know, you a turned into the moon and your boy is like, that's rough, buddy. <laughs> and it's one of those things where like in that moment, like what are, why, why does that inspire this laughter? Right. It's because we've all experienced someone who responds like that (laughs) yes and it's like this like form of like we're with Sokka in that moment we're like oh well that I've been there (laughs) yeah and it's also we're with Zuko where we're like oh no someone just unloaded hard on us and all we can say (laughs) is that's rough and it's like there's this moment of like oh I totally feel both of you in this moment Mm -hmm. um and so that's, that's one that comes up for me. What, like, what's a, what's a moment where you're, when you were watching this show, you were like, oh my gosh, I can't stop laughing. And then like, let's talk about it and figure out why. Um, so a, a character, I guess, is more yeah. world. There's two characters. The first one is King Boomy. Naturally. I, it's, I just like all of his inner, I just feel like he is having so much fun and yeah. just like, you know, putting them all through these challenges and things all out of like reminiscent of like the times that they already experienced together and just like his eccentricness. Like it just was so, I loved watching his character and just like, you know, non-response, just like keeping to himself regardless of how they were responding and then revealing at the end and just like that moment that him and Aang could have and like, oh my gosh, I know who you are. And like back to where they started. So King Boomy, like anytime he was like on the screen, I just enjoyed yeah. his presence. And I think it just was like similar, like that bubbliness and like, I wanted to laugh with him and, yeah. you know, he just was a very enjoyable character. And then Nilo, but. Uh, also Nilo. Yeah. <laughs> I loved him so yeah. much. <laughs> well, it's interesting you lift up King Boomy because, you know, like I, though I have never been to Kangaroo Island, I, I, I remember it being really hopping, right? Um, and it's just all these like super punny uh, jokes that he drops where the trio is just like, I'm not in a space where I can laugh at this with you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so interesting. I, 
Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, and that's interesting because like thinking about empathizing with the characters, it's like, okay, this guy's like making jokes, but like, I don't know if I can trust this guy. And like, mm-hmm. I'm scared and I'm worried for my life. So they're not laughing, but mm-hmm. for, for us, we're like, <laughs> because these are funny jokes and it also is like signaling for us as like a third party viewer of like okay this guy's like he's interesting he's mm-hmm. um, giving us something to to laugh about which means potentially not like the villain here um mm-hmm. and I, I i'm just i find that really neat because i i think what i find so endearing about king boomy is that he continues to make these jokes um not based off of everyone's reaction, but because this is what he wants to do. This mm-hmm. is the way he wants to exist in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's so beautiful about King Bumi is it's it's not dependent upon others. It's like he is belonging. He's not trying to fit in here, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that is what makes us capable of laughing in that moment with, with him in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Is that like... And I, I don't want to put words to your experience, but that's kind of my experience. How, like, is that, does that resonate with you or do you experience it another way? No, it does. I think similarly, like something that I loved about him is like you said, like he just kind of stayed true to himself and the way that he navigates the world and the way that he like sparks joy for himself. Like yeah. it just was nice to experience. And I think oftentimes we don't see that as much like we see the opposite where people hold hold back based off of like situations and don't allow laughter or joy to come into yeah maybe those situations that feel heavier and so it was just almost like a nice reminder as a character of like what does you know engaging with the world throughout that feels authentic to us consistently yeah look like and it almost was inspiring like I want to be able to do that and to yeah. be able to, you know lift lightness into situations or like be goofy in situations where it may make other people slightly uncomfortable yeah. and not to like you know impact the situation or to say that this situation isn't warranted of certain kind of emotions but also to say like hey we can introduce these things and still like be in the same moment together but like how do I engage in the situation that feels right for me Um, so yeah that's why I really I loved his character and I think it was more a reminder like I want to be able to do what he does consistently um so yeah you know what's really interesting that I find about the two characters that you lifted up is that they're on both um one could say extremes of age. Mm-hmm. And so Boomy is, you know, at least 112. Um, yeah. And <laughs> we have Milo, who in season one of Korra is like six. Like, I don't know exactly his age, but um, I, I find it intriguing that children in particular are really good at embodying like them being themselves without worrying about comparison yet without worried about what the rest of the world thinks. And Milo is like, Hey, can I have some of your hair? And Hey, farewell, beautiful woman. And he's saying things that we're all like, yes, I mean, Asami's great. <laughs> like, and then, but, but he's like, I know I'm going to say it out loud in your face yeah. and ask for your hair. <laughs> and it's one of those things where like, it makes us love the people who are, what we would say so courageous, right? It also a little creepy if an adult said that, but it's one of those things where like when we see children 
doing those things. We're like, man, they are so vulnerable and in love with the world and they're living their lives without fear. And it's like, that's why I love you. And then we unlearn it. Like, that's why we like these children. And then all of a sudden we're like, no, as an adult, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And then as we get older, hopefully fingers crossed, we begin to kind of like lean into like, I don't care what the world thinks anymore. I'm going to be me because I'm me and I don't deserve to be me. And then there's this kind of thing that comes with older age where there is less worry uh, often, um, always at all. Um, And so I just, I find it interesting that you, you happen to name two different um, sides of the spectrum. What are are your thoughts on, on that little rant there? If any. Well, I mean, it's true. And, you know, it's, to me, it's just really sad that at at some point in our lives, we, whether it's, you know, the environment that we're placed in, you know, who our parents are, but we all like almost lose some of that, like childlike interaction with the world. Um, And, you know, the way we interact with others and we start to like change the way we interact with certain groups of people and we start to change the way we interact with others and you know how we build connections is different and then it comes back as we age Mm -hmm. and it's just really interesting to me to like what about this you know this middle part of our life that yeah impacts that and it's sad to me you know like why do we lose that and like how do we you know, maybe remind ourselves to get, like, go back to that because it is like such a joy to participate in and to be around. And, you know, I think of like my grandma who like literally like doesn't care and like does what she wants and says what she wants and like, doesn't have, you know, isn't like rude, but like, just is like, this is me. And regardless of who's in the room or where we're at, like, I'm going to enjoy myself and it's inspiring. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I, it's almost reminders like how do we bring that back and not wait until we get older and then start yeah. to bring because there's a missed opportunity I think a little bit in midlife like of keeping joy so yeah. well there's this moment in midlife where we realize that pants are an illusion and so is death right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh to quote my favorite um who in um Atla. Anyway, there's a lot of other moments where there's so much laughter, but I want to make sure that we hit all of them. So I want to move on to song now. Um, and Brene kind of goes into this lovely concept of like the, we have this soundtrack to our lives. And I, I and I totally thought as soon as she wrote it, I was like, oh, that's so true. Cause I can think back to these moments throughout my life where like, okay, how would I describe my, my life in, in this year? And I was like, "Mm -hmm, that was the song that I heard all the time, whether it wasn't even always me playing that song, but it was so iconic that it just became that. And, you know, not everyone's passionate about music as a music major. I, uh, I can both like be like, what? (laughs) And also uh, I get it because I don't listen to as much music as I used to. And it's because I'm constantly engaging audiobooks and podcasts, but I always come back to music and I'm like, why have I been leaving you? Um, Why have I been without you for so long? (laughs) Um, But again, like one of the things that Brown claims in this book is that music's, what is universal about music is it's the, it's capacity to move people emotionally. Um, And so as a thought experiment, um, what she does is she describes watching this video of one of her favorite movies and then watching it 
without the music on like the director's cut. And I imagine some of you can at least find a couple of scenes on Google. And I, I challenge you all to, to who are listening to try that, to go find one of your favorite scenes and see if you can find it without music and see what the difference it carries with you uh, on a, in an emotional way. Because I imagine uh, it will feel pretty flat and like, like there's less anticipation. Um, there's, without that music, it just feels factual and not emotional, right? Um, so I want to hear about a moment in your life, Sarah, that, it, and then I, like, what was the soundtrack to that moment? Mm. So what's really interesting is like, for me, less of like moments in my life, but like people. Sure. In life. I love it. So yes, there are certainly songs that like match my mood, but like when I was thinking about music and for me, I think about like songs that remind me of my relationships with other people. And maybe that's again, cause I've moved, yeah. quickly, but you know, for instance, like I've noticed in the past like month or so that I'm listening to artists that my parents really enjoy, oh. and, you know, as a way of almost like connecting with them, even though they're not physically there. So for instance, my dad loves James Taylor. Mm. And it's like I've started to play more James Taylor and it almost like reminds me of them and like of moments when I was with them or another one with my dad we used to dance to ushers yeah in the car yeah like, yeah. yeah which <laughs> every time it came on and we would just like you know you can't do much in the car but like just arm choreography oh too. yeah <laughs> um, and that like you know now I notice I'm playing that song more which like gets very old but like occasionally when I play it I think of them or you know so that's what for me I've thought about more with like music and connection is that a lot of times music can remind you of people or like mm. shared experiences and also like how much like that music informed my interactions, like yeah. those people and like how much that like music just in a car, for instance, like added to that experience where like we were just sitting and then we were connecting because we started to dance and sing like together yeah. in the moment. And what would those moments look like if that music wasn't involved? Yeah. Um, but yeah. And like to talk about your experience, like the experiment too, like I actually did that as like a psych project in high school oh, cool. and, and I, I added different songs. So I also took the music <laughs> and then added different songs and it just was amazing, like how much it sparks mood. So for instance, like, you know, the Sarah, I don't know if it's Sarah, Sarah McLaughlin song, like with the animal yeah. in high school, I like took it away and added who let the dogs out. I'm like, it totally changes like your, you know, your view of it. Um, yeah. but it's just like, so fascinating to me how much like bodily response and emotional response we have to music and in moments. So yeah. Well, oh man love her oh yeah that was great um you know the moment that comes up for me is uh like I, it's interesting that you, it's like in connection to people because mine's like in connection to place um my so uh a hundred years um by uh what is it five for fighting mm -hmm. um I get triggered every time that song starts because what, what would happen is I worked at a summer camp where on Friday night, 
when we have closing campfire and everybody's about to say goodbye, the, the first song that plays every single time is a hundred years by five for fighting. Mm. And so like, I, like I cried so many times to that song. Cause I had to say goodbye to my friends and my campers and all these things that the, in, like in the store, if it comes on, I'm like, <laughs> like, like, like it's like, this, what is this torture? Why are you bringing this on me? Goes, Turn it off. Yeah, why? Why? <laughs> yeah it's just like this just like uh, i'm like i'm I'm, i feel my eyes like watering up just thinking about it just because it's like like such a visceral song for me because how strong the connection is to what it brings me back to Mm -hmm. and um it's it's really fascinating to think about like what are what are those songs where you hear the first note of it and all of a sudden you're like (gasps) (laughs) Um, and of course, I think all Avatar fans have at least one of those. So when Leaves from the Vine plays. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> ev- everyone is just like, oh, no. Um, like, like, it's like prime waterworks, right? And I, I think that that's just such a visceral example of like Iroh is singing out of grief, Mm -hmm. right? And singing out of not just grief, but out of gratitude and out of like, there's so much emotion that is coming through when Iroh sings, when we're just like, oh. (laughs) And I think what is really tragic is Mako, who was the voice actor for Iroh, was gra- battling with cancer when he sang this song. And this was the last thing that he reported. Mm. And just like, oh, the, the things that go through your body and through your, like, I just got chills just thinking about it and thinking about how much meaning that song carries for so many people, not only because of Mako, but because of Iroh and just what happens through that story. And yeah. I just like, I, I don't know that I can think of a better example than, than, that. <laughs> right? Uh. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just like amazing to me again, like how much emotion and experience can be like bottled up into a note, you know, and like, regardless of time from that period, like it takes you mm-hmm. that emotion. I think it's such a beautiful thing. Like the memory and the experience and like this sensory experience that we can have just with like music. Um, Yeah. It like almost like encapsulates these little moments in our lives and that we get to, the cool thing about music is you get to go back to it, you know, and sometimes then just whenever that song comes on or if you intentionally put it on, like you always get to go back to it. And I think that's a cool thing, like that we get to re-experience that when you know, whether we want to or not, but we, we yeah. really re-experience those emotions and those moments. Yeah. Well, and, and to, just to tie it into, to bring in a little bit more of a spiritual component, there's a reason there's music involved in, in liturgy for, for whether it be the church or whether it be ritual for various different religions, like music yeah. is integral <laughs> to many forms of worship. And I think that it's because it, again, establishes a form of spiritual connection between two people. Mm -hmm. 
And I think it's worth kind of tying this back into what you were saying earlier about dance, because I think it certainly applies here as well, is that often when we think about singing, we think about like consumption, right? This is something that I'm going to do. And if I can't make it so that it's consumable by the masses, then it's not worth doing. And that's, that's not what singing's about. Singing is a form of putting you out into the world, right? And being yourself and singing, not for other people to hear, but for you to experience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, it's just, there's so much, like I, so I went through years of voice, vo- voice training and I found that being a voice student was more therapeutic for me than often, sometimes at least my, my therapy sessions with a therapist, because I was learning how to embody my experiences. I was learning to communicate through my body. Whereas I am so often in my head that I'm super able to put language and to talk about my emotions, but I'm really, it's really difficult to, to do my emotions. And when I was in voice training and I was singing all the time, I had to lean into my experiences in order to communicate the, the lyrics of these really often, you know, tragic songs. And like these, you know, sometimes they were comedic songs. Sometimes they were like just various emotions I had to communicate and through embodying them and practicing and like tapping into my memories that would help me lean into this emotion. All of a sudden I was like, having this embodiment of things that I had never been able to embody before. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that, again, it's less about making your voice consumable and more about like you putting yourself out and embodying the feelings that you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite thing to sing? Oh my gosh. See, that's interesting because it depends on ah. like- it depends. I, I, I really struggle with people like, what's your favorite song or what's your favorite? Yeah. Whatever. I'm like, I, I have so many depending on like Don't what reduce me to one song, <laughs> me to one song. How dare you? Um, I don't know. I would say like Adele is one, mm. like she has very, um, very visceral songs. Yeah. Um, you know, and there, there, there are those kinds of songs that like, you just want to belt out. Like, yeah. and I, I, my background is not in singing. Um, and I, I know how I sound, but like when I sing her, like those songs, I feel amazing. I just yeah. feel like I'm on stage singing it's, to the world. Just wishing nothing um, but the best for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it just depends like on my mood, but I would say Adele, Lizzo, I love to sing mm. for different reasons. Like that. Yeah like embodying different emotions but yeah I just I really enjoy singing sometimes I just sing my own thoughts or like I have, been called <laughs> I have out a co-worker re- that does that all the time <laughs> I've been caught out recently sometimes like if something negative happens at work lately I've just like sang my response yeah you know, like they'll be like oh you know a patient canceled I'll be like oh no and then <laughs> and I just stop and then people are like um, I'm sorry. What? So yeah, I use singing to like respond to <laughs> negative news. Um, yeah. yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, we can't 
I feel like we have to talk about two, two things. One, like we have to remember that Iroh is very proud of the rough rhinos because they were a very capable singing group. Right. Um, and like, I'm sure that we, while we never got to hear their performance, I, I trust Iroh's, um, you know, wisdom here. Right. And then of course I, I was on Twitter talking about this and like the several responses were like, you can't talk about that without talking about Chong and secret tunnel. <laughs> love that song and I think that what you were just describing of like just singing your response to people Ah. that is what they were doing the whole episode they were just like singing their thoughts (laughs) they were just going through the world singing their thoughts and then it turns into this iconic thing and so don't ever discredit your singing responses because you might come out with something like secret tunnel right oh my gosh the world isn't ready. Yeah. Or is it? <laughs> okay. So we talked about laughter. We talked about song. Let's dive into dance. Um, so one of the, like, again, kind of talking from Brene's perspective here, uh, one of the ways that she measures the spiritual health of her household is by measuring how often her family is dancing in the kitchen. And one of the things I really appreciate about this is that after she engaged with this, uh, this work and figured out that like, okay, this is a guidepost to wholehearted living. She was like, oh gosh, we have to do this more. (laughs) And so what she did is she created this ritual where after dinner, she, they turn up the music and everybody cleans while this music is blasting. And it just naturally leads to them dancing in the kitchen. And I'm like, I really want to just point people towards the um, episode on ritual that we did with Casper Turkyle. Um, It's season three, episode two on uh, the headband, uh, which we'll probably talk about soon anyway. Um, But it's really important to think about how ritual can help us lean into these guideposts. And so I'm curious for you, Sarah, um, what, what are your rituals around dancing, if any? Like, do you, do you have any? Do you have any, like, things that help you, like, okay, it's time to dance today? Like, what are, what are the, does that make sense as a question? Yeah. Um, you know, so growing up dancing, of course, like, you know, coming to the dance studio and things, but I think more about ritual of, like, experiences with my family. So, mm-hmm. For instance, um, when we were all living under the same roof, we would often do like movie nights. Um, and every time like the end credits and the music would play, like I would get up and just start like dancing to it. And then my brother would join in and then my other brother would join in. And it just became this thing that like we waited for the end of the movie and whatever like (laughs) song was playing or, you know, whether it was really sad or really upbeat, like we would just dance for the entire end credits, like, and do like a little show in front of my parents. Oh, Um, beautiful. (laughs) So now it's just something that like, we still do. I mean, we don't obviously like, we don't live in the same place anymore. So it's rare if we're like all in the one place movie, but that's what I think about. It's like these little moments where like, you know, we didn't know the song that would play. We'd never seen the movies before. And just like the sporadic like movements and like going in and out of the space. And, you know, we would always have very different movement choices, but 
like it was such a fun like thing that I looked forward to with movie nights <laughs> yeah yeah that's such a good example I love that it's so that's so cool I'm I'm jealous now I want to like how do I do that in my life that's so great oh that's so beautiful and again I think what's so cool about that is that's just that's it's full body vulnerability right? That's what dancing is. It is just full body vulnerability. And like, again, talking, we, we talked about vulnerability all the time on this podcast and how like, yes, it is so difficult. <laughs> like it is so hard because we like, it is a form of like trust that we're leaning into hoping that people aren't going to take advantage of our full body vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Right. I would say dancing is the equivalent of sharing something, sharing a secret with the world right? While we hope and wish it didn't have to be a secret, right? Ourselves. Often when we share something with the world via language, we are giving them the tools by which they can use that against us. And it invites this capacity for betrayal, Mm. right? When people make fun of or point at or do things to laugh at rather than laugh with, when we are putting ourselves on the line through our full body vulnerability, it shuts us down and makes it so that we can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And again, just as a reminder, vulnerability is the birthplace of everything that we hope and want in our lives, like love, joy, like all the good things theoretically. And then it's also the birthplace of all the things that are like these down emotions, right? Shame, fear, blame. And we have to dance if we want to have access to the joy. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, we got to dance. (laughs) yeah so joy y'all dance dependent Mm -hmm. about that and gratitude dependent but we already talked about that on the prior episode (laughs) so sarah Mm -hmm. we have kind of talked about like these things that Brene has lifted up. We've talked about dance and we've talked about your experience with dancing and how, you know, it's not about dancing with the stars dancing, but utilizing our bodies to move expressively. Mm-hmm. When you think about what dance, let me rephrase. When you think about the people who are struggling with this, who really are, are struggling to kind of embody and feel safe embodying this vulnerability in like their full dance selves. What's like, what's the first step? What's something that you would hope that they, what, what, what do they need to lean into in order to get to the point where dancing is something that they can begin to experience? Mm. You know, again, I think I'm going to go back to like the idea that it doesn't have to be aesthetically pleasing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for me, what's helpful is leaning into the fact that like, it doesn't like, it doesn't have to look good. And like, what does looking good even look like? Yeah. For me, I think dance has so much more value than just like looking good. Like it's a way to connect with people. It's a way to process your emotions. And for me, I think a way to think about leaning into it is that like, hey, this is an opportunity to like connect with the people that you're around and, you know, leaning into 
the fact that again, it, it doesn't have to look good and there's no wrong way to have a body. There's no wrong way to dance. And like, yes, there are like dance crazes and things, but like dance doesn't even have to be like coordinated. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have yeah. to be rhythmic. And, you know, and it may be like, can you find people that you already have that level of vulnerability with? Like, do you have people in your life that you've laughed with or shared songs with and almost yeah. that as like, you know, a stepladder, so to speak of like, you have that experience, like, can we lean into those people who already make you feel safe to like, start that process? Because sure, if you're, if you're in this room where you don't know anyone, like that's, there's less opportunities to feel safe. But if you're starting those experiences with people that you have already have this level of vulnerability or safety with experiences, can that make you feel more comfortable? Like, maybe it's in your living room, maybe it's in a car, like maybe- you know, it, it's, it's waste up, like, yeah. <laughs> um, and use those opportunities, like with people that you've already established that. And then yeah. hopefully it leads to more and more comfort level with wherever you're at, regardless of who's in that space that you feel yeah. comfortable sharing. And I, and I love that you're pointing to this because I, 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 you mentioned this earlier too, talking about the, like the ability, right. And it, it, I would say that dancing is not dependent on your ability. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there are several dancers that I can point to that I really love that are, uh, like differently abled yeah. and their, uh, their last name of Soleil, S-O-L-E-I-L, um, and is, has lack, cannot move their legs mm-hmm. and they, they are actively dancing on stage and performing and doing really beautiful things. And he is an advocate for saying that it has nothing to do with, what somebody else can do. It's everything leaning into what I can do with my body. Mm-hmm. And I just like, there's this, like, he has a little video clip. I highly recommend searching and Googling it because it's, it's, again, it's not about like comparing ourselves to others, right? It's about embodying what is within us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that you kind of pointed us there and, and, you know, you know, what it really makes me think of is, is Ang. And I, you know, like one, I think being able to dance in public in front of people is a form of privilege mm-hmm. in the sense that I have, I, like when I am like feeling like, Oh, this is a, a less vulnerable experience for me than it is for you. That like, that's a form of privilege. Right. And I, I think that Aang we know has a lot of privilege just as the avatar <laughs> and being able to bend all the elements and he can defend himself and all of these forms of privilege, but it makes me think of the headband where uh, season three, or book three, episode two, where he's in the Fire Nation and he's in this music class and they're they're all playing their different instruments and he starts playing and like dancing while he's playing and he's like all about it. And then the teacher's like, excuse me, what are you doing? Um, and like called and says, we don't, we can't, you can't play that way. And you know, you need, this is how we play. And it turns into this idea of it's like being clinical over being expressive. So valuing the aesthetic overvaluing the expression Mm -hmm. and I think that's what often turns people off of music in dance classes just like it did for you Mm -hmm. right is that like is that how how does that sound for you is that real is that just me (laughs) no no I mean I you know I really struggled with competitive dance because the conversations in the studio were about you know, what are our costumes going to look like and how many rhinestones do we need to have? And, you know, just like focusing on these things. I'm like, that's, 
that feels irrelevant to me. Yeah. Like that shouldn't even be in the conversation or, you know, basically asking people to do these leaps and turns that just like are inherently a little unsafe. And it's like, yeah. what is the, like, I always felt like, what is the point? Like, what do you, I always think about when I choreograph or when I dance more like for creating purposes, not just like moving, but like, what am I trying to say? And yeah. like, how am I trying to say it? And I, I, I think there's, when you're creating dance, like there's a lot of intentionality. Like it's important to know, like, who are your dancers and what are their bodies? Because mm -hmm. they carry inherent meaning, just like being a certain kind of body on a stage. And yeah, so I really, really struggle with it. And I just feel like dance, like doesn't have to be pretty. And, you know, I think we should strive for like safety and expression and like, what are we trying to say and why are we trying to say it and like who are we saying it for um so that's why like i gravitated more towards like this like modern dance company because yeah. it was like we can just like move and like that's the purpose like there was nothing more than on certain sundays we'd have dance practice and then it would just be like we're just gonna move to this music with no outcome or no intention behind like no product that we're creating and just like improv and just move and I loved those moments because it was like I can just say what I need to say or process what I need to without an expectation of like this being viewed or this being consumed or what mm. does it look like for other people um and that's what I like to think about with just like dancing on wedding floors or things like yeah just yeah. an opportunity like who cares what it looks like but just to share it with others but like you said I do recognize a level of privilege. Like I do have dance training and I, I, I understand that for me, like I have a level of knowledge of dance that makes it easier to access yeah. right? and to play with because I, I have that experience. Maybe similar for you with music, like you have a level of knowledge that then you can play with music more yeah. um, or you enjoy certain nuances because of your knowledge. So I do recognize the privilege in that, but also it is accessible and like, we're drawn to rhythm and music and dancing as like little babies. Like that's yeah. how children explore their environment is through movement. Um, so yeah, that was a long tangent, but. Yeah, no, I think it's really helpful just to, to name that, to name it, right? Just mm -hmm. because I think it's helpful for everybody who's listening to it and being clear that this is something that we can all access and those of us who feel safer in certain environments are more likely to tap into these things. So yeah. if safety is an issue, that's like the first priority, right? Yeah. And so how do we address that mm -hmm. and just name that that is a factor in our capacity to engage in these things, right? Yeah. And, and I just think that's so helpful and so important. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as someone who does have privilege coming to a dance floor, like I've noticed, I try to make others feel safe in that like yeah if I see someone moving like I you know not mockingly but I intentionally like acknowledge their movement like and yeah. hype them up and 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 that's maybe like where I came from in dance like mm -hmm. if someone was in it they're all like we would snap and we would cheer and it wasn't because we were saying you look good or oh that's so attractive it was just more like I'm acknowledging that you're like like providing movement to the space and that you're enjoying your movement in the space and that's like what I've noticed I try to just hype people up because I acknowledge like it is scary and I want you to know that I see you and yeah. like I acknowledge you and I am so glad that you're choosing to like share that in this space so yeah 
Well, and it just reminds me of this phrase from the Hopi Indians, which is to watch us dance is to hear our hearts speak. And I'm just like, yeah, (laughs) I agree. (laughs) So yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful for your time and for this conversation. It has been so fruitful. I want to just recognize that we have other things that we need to address in our lives and um, let's, can we move on to our next segment and then we'll get through it and then we'll be, be all done and ready for you to, to head to your next section. Yes. All right. Here's the music for your, your tickling of the ears while we come on right back. So now we're diving into the final product of the um, final product, the, the the endings segment of our podcast <laughs> uh, with Dig D I G, and so Brene kind of forms these as get deliberate, get inspired, get going. And so um, the question is like, what are small ways that we can begin to set intentions around incorporating these ideas from laughter, song, and dance? And so Brene says like turn on the music after dinner for family cleanup or dancing and singing as a ritual. Um, and you've kind of already given us this, this capacity for, um, your ritual. What is, what is, do you have a suggestion for people to like, how do you want people to form and cultivate these rituals at home? Mm. I mean, I think potentially starting with yourself, like, Mm. yes, it is a way to form connection, but I think it's a way to connect with yourself as well. others. And so, (laughs) so I think starting like with yourself, like starting in your bedroom with a song that you really enjoy and like with no eyes on you and, you know, just seeing what happens. Like, do you feel inspired to sing? Do you feel inspired to dance and not putting expectations on yourself, but can you, you know, each day have this moment, either when you wake up or before you go to bed, where you find a song that you love and just see what happens or. (laughs) Yes. Or like other opportunities, like, and then like when you get to work or the first thing you get into your car, a lot of times we turn on music. Like, can you just turn on one song before you go into work that like makes you happy and Mm -hmm just sit in your car for three extra minutes and then go into your work um, and see like how just engaging with music or dance changes the rest of your day or ends your day. Like if you've had a tough day, can you get in your car before you drive home and just play a song that, that lets it out. So this this reminds me of uh, Grey's Anatomy where the main character Meredith Grey is all about dancing it out. So to speak, like every time something's going up, something's going down. She's like, all right, it's time to dance it out. Um, 
And so I'm just channeling Meredith Gray here uh, and, and really leaning into that. We should yeah. do, we should do Gray's anatomy on bending, not bending that or bending, not breaking. That would be, that would be a long, that would take forever. Oh it's like 19 it's seasons. Still ongoing. Yeah. Still ongoing. Yeah, never mind. I retract that statement. All right, we're going to get inspired now. Um, Brene gets inspired with these ideas, like she crafts these themed playlists, right? And um, has songs for specific moods and it's like finding songs. This is my dance playlist. This is my authenticity playlist. This is my blah, blah, blah playlist. And so um, do you, what, what, what's your, uh, what inspires you to think about um, these things and, and start doing these things? What like ultimately is like a push for you to do this mm, a push to do this um you know I think like just adding in songs to like mundane tasks mm. can be a nice way to like elevate that experience or be more yeah. engaged in that experience so like you know can you play some music in the background when you're cooking or have like music in your ears when you're cleaning like that's a way yeah. I think to like elevate the mundane but just to like yeah. also be inspired like I know when I listen to music sometimes when I vacuum like it ends up being a duo between the vacuum and I and it's a <laughs> yeah. um you know or when I'm cooking like I notice I'm like gliding in the kitchen a little bit more as I'm like prepping or adding things like it just starts to I don't know like elevate those activities to yeah. feel a little more special than just like cleaning or cooking mm -hmm those kind of even walking like can you add a little soundtrack in your head you know and just yeah. inspire a catwalk or whatever <laughs> i love it okay and then finally g get going how can we set goals right now that will get us to laugh song and dance today like is it like is is what makes you laugh tiktok videos because let's go watch some is it dancing in the kitchen because that's going to be fun is it going to be singing in your car like what is an actionable way that you're going to do these three things today and i'm curious like what what's one way you're going to incorporate one of these things in your day today sarah you know i do have to be in the car today so i think i'm going to put on a concert um for all the other cars in the parking lot mm. um mm. Yeah, and just put on a show before I leave. Um, I think the cool thing about this is like there's so many opportunities to do this, right? Yeah. That, that don't have to necessarily add time to your day, but I think it, it's more about intentionality. Like, can you, you know, again, not carve out more additional time, but can we add these into things that are already yeah. existing in your day? And I think it makes it feel easier to incorporate. Like, I don't have to take three minutes out. I already have three minutes of something like I'm yeah. just adding to it whether you're in the car or you know whatever other activity so this integration yeah I'm gonna do a, a car performance for mm. myself and the other cars in the parking lot lovely <laughs> I love I love seeing that and in other people and I, I just think it's really beautiful when we see that in in cars that we're driving by where people are just like living their lives and it's just, light performances yeah. they're the best yeah Awesome. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a really lovely conversation and I feel like we have, we have leaned into this laughter song and dance. Yes. Thank you for having me. I've loved it. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And for everybody else, remember, this is a super cool opportunity for you to uh, just like 
go turn on some music and dance and have some fun but it's also a pretty great opportunity to follow us on all the social medias because you know that's cool um maybe even like if you're feeling called you can be like oh wow patreon that's a great thing bnb underscore pod i love supporting them financially that's so cool um that makes me giddy inside and makes me want to dance a little bit um yeah, so I just wanted to invite you all to those loving opportunities. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no pressure either way. But remember, you can also send us a voicemail about your experience with these things at thearchivy at gmail.com. All right, this has been Bending Not Breaking, and we have been with, graced with Sarah today as our guest. And until next time, be well and do good. <laughs>